Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. I've had cryptocurrency explained to me dozens of times, and I still have no idea what it is. I'm actually going to try and have a take a crack here and try to explain the basics of crypto to you and see if you get it. So who decides that one imaginary coin is worth more than another imaginary coin? It, it just comes to what people are prepared to, to pay for things. We just have a frictionless way for you to take those hopefully crypto gains that you've had and you know maybe reward yourself with some travel. What's up, podcast listener? Welcome back to another week of No Blackout Dates. My name's Tim. I'm Evan. We got a great one for you today where we are looking into the future. We're talking Web3, we're talking cryptocurrency, and we're talking how travel relates to it all, something that probably none of us fully comprehend. But we have an expert with us today, Ben Rogers from Travala, who is going to help break it down to the 101 level so that we can all understand why the money that we're currently spending on travel might not be good enough to spend on travel in the future. When people talk to me about crypto, I always remember that scene from The Office where Dwight says, what's the ratio of Shroot Bucks to Stanley Nichols? And then he says, the same as the ratio of unicorns to leprechauns. That's how I always conceive of crypto. So I'm getting some education today. I'm learning about crypto. He breaks it down really nicely. So big crypto guy now, huge. But before that, we're going to get into hot takes. Uh, Tim, you want to start? Yep, I got a good one for you today, Evan, that I think is particularly appropriate to you. Uh, you know, people say that there are certain cuisines that should not be, uh, c- certain cuisines that are awkward in fine dining settings. Italian is not one of them. Italian is often presented in a fine dining setting, but not pizza so much. And as a pizza guy yourself, do you think pizza is a fine dining worthy food? That's a good question because. I can't imagine myself saying that, like, no, I don't think pizza belongs in any any venue. But I don't know. I'm not. I, I I can't stand people to eat pizza with a fork and knife. But if you're in a fancy place, it's kind of it's not fancy, Tim. It's just not classy to pick it up by the crust and you know the cheese dripping everywhere. So I don't know. It's a it's a catch twenty two. Well, let me ask you this because the one pizza that I could see succeeding very well and not that others haven't because there's pizza in nice restaurants all over the world but the margarita pizza seems like it could be made for that because there's an entire board that certifies margarita pizzas it's the most famous pizza uh but it's also very simple it's very simple there's only a few ingredients it's too simple though it's like i don't need to go to a nice restaurant to get that like if i go to a five-star restaurant they're gonna charge me what like $30 $30 for a margarita pizza, like a little individual pizza, and it has less on it than a regular pizza does. Like, it's the, the, the margarita pizzas to me aren't, I don't know, they're not satisfying. Maybe as an appetizer. That's what I'll say. I think a pizza can be a good appetizer. So keep them small, keep them light, good appetizer, not as an entree. I think if you're serving it as an entree, you're not classy. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, my next question for you, Evan. Since we have uh, we have Ben from Travala here today, and we're talking about online travel agencies, among other things, I'm curious if you think that uh, online booking sites actually are worthwhile. Uh, why not just go to the hotel website and book the room there? 
uh, you mean like Expedia, Booking.com, whatever? Yeah. I can't remember the last time I booked through a third-party booking site, honestly. I Unless they give you a discount. I, is, is that the case? Like Booking.com, do they do discounts? Is there is there – you're more uh, – have not, your finger on the pulse Not of this every time, I mean. no. I mean I think the benefit of using an online travel agency like that is that you're able to very easily compare the prices at a bunch of different hotels in a location – and a bunch of different, not even just the price, but everything about the hotels to find what you want. Uh, so I think there's value there. Right. But I know that a lot of hotels and travel uh, businesses don't like those websites because they would rather you book through their website. Yeah. What I have done is I've used those websites, like a booking.com, to compare hotels. But then when I pick which one I want, I'll go on that hotel's website and I'll just book it directly. And I used to work at a hotel, and we would take bookings from Booking.com. And I used to hate that as a, as a front desk guy because I would think, why can't people just book? It required an extra step from me because you had to, like, put in their booking reference. And sometimes it wouldn't uh, – there was a disconnect between Booking.com and us. So people would show up and be like, hey, I have a reservation. And I'd be like, no, you don't. I don't see you in the system. They're like, oh, yeah, I did it through Booking.com. And I'd be like, oh, okay, one of these. So I got to, like, dig through my files to, like, find it. And it would get lost. So, yeah, no, I never do it. I understand why it's convenient. You're comparing different hotels. You find which one you want. You just book through them. It's easy. But it doesn't really give you any benefits. So I guess there's really no reason to do it. Travala, which we're talking about today, is a little different because it's unique. It's a crypto platform. But in general, I just like to go straight to the source. Fair enough. Okay, Evan, that's what I got for you this week. All right. For you, Tim, I got a question. Why do people like horror movies? <laughs> I don't know. I don't like them at all. However, Alicia loves them. Uh, I don't. I don't personally get it. I guess I kind of get the, the thrill. Like it's kind of like a roller coaster, you know. Like you're on the edge of your seat and it's crazy. But to me, they're just so fake. I just don't. I don't get like how you can be entertaining yourself with something that's so clearly not happening. So are you like on the couch with her and you're watching and she's the one like holding you to make sure that you're okay and that you're you're like crying in her arms no it's not like she even is hands over your eyes yeah she doesn't even it's not like she's scared or takes them seriously it's just i think she likes no but you are because she likes them and you don't yes i know that's my problem is i can't separate the fiction from the entertainment i i can't i can't convince myself that it's a it's worth my time to watch this movie so you don't get scared by horror movies I mean, I wouldn't say that. I, I, I guess I could get shocked a bit, but I just don't. I'm not a gore type of person. I generally don't like like shoot 'em up action thrillers either, to be honest, with, with with exceptions. But like, that's not my go-to kind of movie. Yeah, no, me neither. Well, there's two kinds. There's the, the blood and gore and the like jump surprise kind of horror movie, and then there's the psychological thriller. And I think the psychological thriller is more disturbing. And so I'm not a horror movie guy, hate horror movies, hate being scared, don't want to have nightmares, don't understand why people enjoy them. It's just like, why would you inflict that on yourself? I got roped in to watching a horror movie. I was watched The Shining two days ago. Huge blizzard hits New England, got like two feet of snow. Had you My never seen like, The Shining before? Because that's more of the psychological. I've never seen The Shining. I've never seen any horror movie. You name it, I haven't seen it. So... My friend is like, we're having at the one bar that's open during the blizzard, having a drink. And he's like, 
you haven't seen The Shining. You have to, it's a perfect Blizzard movie because there's a, a Blizzard in the movie. It snows the men. And he's like, you have to watch it. This is the perfect time to watch it. We're going to go back and we're going to watch it. I had a few drinks and I was like, ah, like, fuck it, fine. Like, there's nothing else going on. Like, everything was closed. So I go back and I'm with him and like two other friends. So we're all watching The Shining. But it's more like they're watching me watch The Shining because they've all seen it a bunch and I've never seen any horror movie. And so there's all this pressure on me to like, I don't know, react appropriately. And I like it's it's made in like the 70s or early 80s. So it's like kind of ridiculous. The premise is very disturbing. Like I was like there was a few scenes that like I definitely stuck with me. And I'm like, fuck, like that's I don't want to go home by myself tonight. Like that's terrifying. But the whole time I was like, why do people voluntarily sign up for this? I don't want to watch this little kid who's possessed. I don't want to watch Jack Nicholson murder people with a with an axe. Like that's not giving me thrill or joy. I watch movies to be entertained and to laugh and to be like inspired, I guess. Is like a corny way of putting it. But like to come away with positive feelings. I did not come away from that movie with positive feelings. Like the plot made no sense. There were some like interesting twists that it definitely kept my interest I, overall I walked away just thinking why did i just watch a horror movie for two and a half hours it's a long movie two and a half hours at 10 p.m on a night that i have to walk back and go home and go to sleep by myself like why did i just do that to myself yeah so uh, here's a question evan do you have this magical ability that i have to just fall asleep if you're watching a movie that you don't like no i can't fall asleep even if i'm in my own bed at midnight and I'm tired. So <laughs> I can't I can't fall asleep during movies, during music, during podcasts, during anything. Okay. Cuz that's that's my go-to when I'm watching a movie that I don't want to watch is I'll I'll usually just fall asleep. Trust me, I try I try to close my eyes in like a subtle kind of way and it just like doesn't work. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to watch it and stick it out. And it wasn't it honestly like wasn't that bad. Like it was it's a, it's not I know there are way scarier movies than The Shining, but it's a classic, so if you're going to watch one, it might as well be that, I guess. A lot of my friends were like, oh, you get scared at like, horror movies? Like, what are you, some kind of pussy? I'm like, like, yeah, I guess. They're designed to be scary, and I am scared. that it, it, They do their job. I don't care. I, I, I will be scared if I watch one. I will have nightmares. They're designed to elicit that exact response from people. All right. Well, my second question also has to do with movies, which is kind of funny because we're talking about crypto today and not movies. Uh, though I guess the horror movie thing is kind of consistent because crypto scares me. Would you watch a Woody Allen movie or any movie made by a director or starring an actor who has uh, ethical or uh, problematic concerns? So there's a famous line, Evan, don't judge a writer's work by their character. And people have used that to apply to everybody from Hemingway to Hunter S. Thompson to any number of people that they don't like or have a moral disagreement with. To me, that doesn't mean that the work that they did is any less groundbreaking or valid. Um, I, I'm not going to... I may think Woody Allen is uh, a bad person. I may completely disagree with, uh, with anything that's ever happened that, that, that is involved with a creator in their personal life. But I still might like the movie, you know, and I don't feel bad for that. But will you, so will you watch it, though? So if you're deciding what movie to watch and you're like, oh, Midnight in Paris, love Midnight in Paris, we should watch that. Oh, but Woody Allen made it. Would you not watch it? I probably would not not watch it because of that. I would, If I wanted to watch it, I would watch it. And 
you know, it's probably a little bit different to, to analyze if you find out that the person is terrible after you've already consumed the art than if you find out before you've concerned the art. Because I can see why people would stray away from that or, like, not want to read a certain book because the author had a dilemma. Uh, but if you've already appreciated the art, I don't think it's fair to change your perception of that art based on the creator. Yeah, I have a really hard time. I understand, uh, I guess, in other industries, maybe like not uh, pay, not buying Nike shoes if you are if you really disagree with their warehouse practices and supporting that as a company. I, you could say it's the same thing as watching or paying for a ticket to watch a movie by Woody Allen. But I, I don't know. I have a really hard time as someone who's like very into separating art from the person who created that art. I think it's almost two separate entities completely. And it's just so hard for me. I was at a dinner the other night with a bunch of people and they were all talking about Woody Allen, how he's a huge sketch ball and how they, they can't watch his movies anymore. And they just can't process that, that genius the same way while still admitting that he's like a genius. They're like, I, I can't, I can't appreciate it anymore. And I'm sitting there and I didn't really say anything cause I didn't want to be the odd man out, but I was like, I, I really have no issue whatsoever. Harvey Weinstein movies. Like he's not as maybe, directly involved in creative production as someone like Woody Allen. But like you're going to boycott a Woody Allen movie. That means you have to, you definitely have to boycott all Harvey Weinstein movies. That's probably like 15% of every movie you've ever seen. So, you know, it just, where is that end? And where do you just draw that ethical line? And at what point are you just unduly inconveniencing yourself and depriving yourself of a, of an enjoyable cinematic experience because of this vague amorphous, ethical responsibility you feel you have that no one is ever going to be aware of. Yeah. You know, and, and I'll, I'll close with this. I think it's probably, you know, my most clear way of explaining this is that art is nuanced, you know, very often there's more than one person involved in the art as is true with a movie. Uh, and your perception of the art can change over time. Your perception of the artist can change over time, but what happened with that art and what happened because of that art will always be there. Right. And there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of other people, uh, moving pieces involved. So it's like, okay, I might not want to watch Midnight in Paris because Woody Allen's a weirdo, but I love Owen Wilson. So I'm punishing Owen Wilson now, you know? Not that any of these people care about what we do or what we watch or don't watch. All right. Well, with that, we will get into it with Ben talking some crypto, some Web3, and some DeFi. We'll see you on the other side. I don't know what any of those mean. Ben Rogers is the Chief Marketing Officer at Travala, the web's leading blockchain-based travel booking platform. He's helped the company see unprecedented growth even despite the COVID-19 pandemic and is an avid proponent of the power of crypto and Web3 to reshape the travel booking experience from the ground up. Ben, welcome to Note Blackout Days. Thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, the invitation. Um, this is, you guys have got to be one of my, my favorite podcasts, so very pumped to be here. Hey, well, we'll take that. I, I feel like the whole topic of, of, of crypto is edgy in a way, so we'll, we'll dive right in. On the surface, Travala, similar to legacy uh, online travel agencies, Expedia, Booking.com, except you guys are forward-thinking and you're, you're booking with crypto, you're advocating crypto, you have your own token. Uh, give us a rundown of how Travala works and what separates you guys. Yeah, of, of course. So... 
uh, you, you fit the nail on the head in, in sort of describing us as, you know, we're online with the uh, traditional OTAs. So a user who comes to our site is going to know how to use us right away. Um, there's no need to like uh, wallet connect or anything like that on a DeFi platform. You know, anyone who's used Expedia before is going to be able to book a hotel, a flight or accommodation with us. Um, when they get to the payment options, there's going to be a couple more there as well uh, beyond traditional credit cards um, in the, the 60 cryptocurrencies uh, that, that will give you the option to pay in as well. So can we start by, I guess, defining our terms a little bit for people who, like myself, have absolutely no idea about crypto and are looking to maybe get into it or looking for how to book travel with crypto? How does crypto actually work? And how do you use a token to book a vacation? Uh, are there people who are exclusively booking travel using cryptocurrency? Yeah, beautiful. So effectively, what happens is you, you get to the booking stage and rather than selecting the credit card, you'll select one of the crypto payment options. Um, it, it works with that, like a wallet to wallet transfer. So if you, you have that token, we will tell you a number of tokens that you need to send. Um, which is the equivalent value of the, the product you bought, the hotel, the flight, or the activity. Um, and then we'll let you either scan the QR code or you can, of course, copy and paste that wallet address into your uh, um, wallet that you're paying from or exchange account that you're paying from or wherever it is. And, and if you send that across, you know, wait, we're sort of listening for it. Um, the payment is taken and you, you've booked the hotel with us. Um, in terms of like, do some people exclusively purchase with crypto? Yes. Um, you know, in some of the better months, we've had 81% of our transactions have been paid for with cryptocurrencies. Um, yes, it is primarily the, the bigger cryptocurrencies and, and our AVA token uh, that takes the lion's share of that. Uh, but there is more and more growth in um, tokens all the time with it. So I, I look at our, our growth as a company, our revenue, we, we're very sort of transparent with that. And you'll see that that is for the most part growing. And that is driven by uh, people paying with crypto. So there is more interest to do this and stuff as well. We also have the concierge with the concierge is our luxury travel platform. You know, like if you want to book a private island, a private jet, you know, a wooden castle in the middle of Japan and have some Tai Chi instructor come stay with you and, you know, make your, I don't know, make your own tofu and stuff like these kinds of like lifetime experiences. Really, really expensive. Tim and I, Tim and I do all of the above on a regular basis. Yeah. You do all the above. Oh, yeah. all right. Well, Const maybe it's constantly. not for you guys. You're, you, constantly. You, you already, you, well, you already have a connection then, but it, it is interesting that our, um, a hundred percent of our concierge sales to date, a hundred percent have been made with crypto. Now, why would somebody book travel with crypto versus cash or a credit card? So in this, you can apply this to any purchase with crypto, but this is me being a crypto idiot asking because it's like if I have $6,000 in my bank account, traditional money, if I have $6,000 worth of crypto, what is, is there a benefit to paying with crypto rather than paying with a credit card and building a line of credit? Well, for me, if you already have the crypto, right, and you know, like maybe you've you've been quite lucky, you've made the right investments, the right choices and things, and you know, now you you do have a holiday coming up, you want to keep your, I mean, it's everyone's personal decision, you you want to keep your 6000 bucks in the account to pay rent, mortgage, accidentals, why not spend the crypto directly on that, that flight that you're going to need or that hotel room you're going to need? Um, it, it seems like you, you just take out the, the middleman. And in terms of creating a line of credit, again, you know, it's individual's financial choices, but uh, 
you got to go pay the piper someday. So like with with that, with that line of credit, you're going to have to sell your crypto or pull out your fiat anyway to, to sort of pay it. We just have a frictionless way for you to take those hopefully crypto gains that you've had and, you know, maybe reward yourself right. with some travel. So I'm curious, you know, you guys, as far as the travel space specifically, are kind of ground zero for people vagabonding around the world, paying with crypto. I have I have two points to this. First of all, and I think this is more of a point and not even a question, it seems that what you guys are doing is straight up eliminating the need to ever go to a currency exchange uh, uh, platform at the airport, right? If, is if, if what you're doing grows to encompass all aspects of travel, you can just pay with the same crypto no matter where you're going. Is that where you see this heading? Oh, that, that's definitely uh, part of the missions. The mission is we want to be able to empower you through your entire journey. Um, and, and that's definitely something that we will down the road um, want to um, have a crack at, just the, the whole ability for you through the Travel platform to be able to interact um, with whatever you want to do on your trips. Since we're kind of touching on the future of uh, the internet and crypto, what exactly, I've heard this term a few times, I think Tim probably knows a little bit more about it than me, but for people that don't know, what exactly is Web3, how is it different than the internet we use now, and could that be the future of how we interact online? I, I love the definition that I think, uh, I'm sorry, maybe it was Tim throughout there already, you know, like it, it's a... Uh, drilled it down so web3 is you know like uh, internet that's that's not owned by you know a, a big business that, that's kind of the direction of what they're, they're pushing with the sorry that's the decentralized because i've heard web3 in my career over the last 10 years it's been used for all sorts of different things so the current iteration of web3 is the uh the decentralized nature of ownership of products and uh ownership of decision making and the evolution of products um that, that we interact with and use on the web um I think there is a big place for this. I think probably a major driver behind this has been privacy concerns. Privacy concerns with what companies are tracking us, doing online, what they're using that information for, um, basically profiting uh, from, from user data collection. I'm sure we can think of a couple of companies off the top of our head that uh, make headlines for you, you know doing these sorts of things. So I think there's a real driver there for that. Um, the other real driver is is uh, users of sites and stuff, I think, in the decentralized things where people use these products, they want um, to, to sort of reap the rewards of the growth and stuff as well. And through tokenization um, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, powering DAOs through crypto, it does make these things, uh, e sorry, more likely to do, more likely to do. But the enemy of Web3, in my opinion, and where we, not the enemy, um, the obstacle there is like someone's still in charge, you know, like someone's still going to be in charge to set up the DAO. Someone still has to set up the Genesis team. Someone has to, you know, make the decisions of what code is going to be used for, you know, the front end, the back end, you know, there, there's a lot of decisions that need to be happened by someone. And then, you know, the, 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 the idea is there eventually, you know, they'll shift power to the community and it'll take on its own life and, and it will grow. Um, but it's very early in where this is going to go. It's very early. I think it will be something. I think it will be powerful. I think it's something in like five years time, you know, the world will probably all know what decentralized um, uh, online businesses are, what web 3.0 businesses are. I do think it will go mainstream, but in the early days, there's, there's still some things that I, I think need to be worked out. So, 
I have a couple of friends, at least a couple, who are full gung-ho, cryptocurrency is going to take down the central bank, and it's going to completely revolutionize the world. Mm. My personal opinion is that that is not going to happen because governments will step in and regulate long before that happens, as we're already seeing in China and other places. But that crypto has a major role in offsetting some of the injustices of the traditional finance system. And I think that a company like Travala is well poised to help that play out because let's say you buy some Bitcoin or whatever, that value goes up. You are able to travel on that money way faster than you would have should you have put that money into a CD or a money market account or something like that. I think that there's possibility for better equalization there with that. And I'm curious what you think about that and what other companies excite you in the space beyond your own? Oh, look, guys, maybe sometime I've got to come back and do this as just me and not with Travala and I'll be very, I'll right. be very, I'll be moving <laughs> go more deeply into some crypto and some stuff here. Um, look, our opinion of Travala is we're, we're pro crypto. Like we, we do believe that this is going to be big. Like we do believe this is um, going to open the world to, to more people and being a travel company, we, we are positioned to, to do that. So with, with Bitcoin, you know, like be it Bitcoin, be it something else that, that people have, um, if they do well with that investment and they want to open an experience to themselves um, with it, we, we love that. We love that. And we're going to give them a give back, you know, like for traveling of 2% as well to in our cryptocurrency. And of course, you know, we, we hope that the growth means that that 2% we give back enables another experience for them down the road as well. Whenever we talk about this subject, I always wonder, and the future of cryptocurrency and how it's you know going to be overtake traditional currencies. My question that always comes to mind is why, I guess, why are you so, and why is Travala so bullish on crypto to base kind of your business model on this currency that a lot of people don't really understand. And I might be in the minority not understanding crypto, but it seems like if there's something that was going to be the future of currency that was going to replace the central bank and physical money and all this stuff, it would be something that's easy to get your head around. It's, it's easy to explain to people. And I've had cryptocurrency explained to me dozens of times and I still have no idea what it is and that's either because I'm a huge idiot or because it's very complicated and I'm not the smartest guy in the world but I feel like I should if this thing is going to be what everybody uses to pay for everything you know like 10 20 years down the road it should be something a little easier to explain to the average person and I guess there's something I'm not understanding about it. So is it easier than I'm than I think it is? Is it complicated at all, or is it just a matter of uh, explaining it in the right way, putting the right pieces together, and then it'll click for everyone eventually? Um, I'm gonna pull out three questions from that. So like one, uh, why did we build our business around crypto? Um, and there, I should have two questions. And I think two there is like, why is crypto seem so complicated? Um, and then the third one would be, which I'm sorry, guys, like you're going to have to have me back. It's just me and I will do a deep dive on this for you. was like, will this basically replace central banks? I can't answer that one on this one, but we will tackle the first two. So why do we build our business around crypto? Um, 
Well, you know, crypto people, it, it came from an insight. So crypto people, they generally travel around the world, pre-COVID, travel around the world quite a lot and go to all sorts of conferences. They meet together. They talk about the, the technology that they're building. They talk about where they think the industry is going. Um, and it's generally like uh, like-minded people coming together. Um, but the problem with traveling with crypto, and it's, yes, you know, some people are going to say it's easier now. you got credit cards that take crypto. Yeah, sure. But uh, off ramps from crypto, so getting crypto back into fiat or that you can spend on travel and getting there um, is, is complicated. You know, it, it is hard. So we, we removed that obstacle uh, with Travala um, for people to, to make it easier. And, and those people that we were removing it for were people that the founders, um, you know, knew quite well. You know, they, they knew what these guys wanted from a, from a demographics perspective when they grew. So that, that became our business model. Now, for us, you know, the crypto has a lot of regulations. There's a lot of irkiness to it, um, which I think is what you're there. You know, like, yeah, sure, lots of, you know, lots of people invested. I don't think fully get it as well, too. I, I don't think that's controversial to say, which um, so but we, we make it easier. We make it easier for people to pay, whether they understand the technology or not with crypto. Um, well, as easy as you can right now. You know, I, I think it, there are probably a few more steps to making a payment to, to a credit card, but we make it as easy as possible for people. Um, the word we say is as fric frictionless as we can for travel. Now, the other thing that we have with this, uh, which, which I think is an advantage, is due to like regulatory nature of crypto and these things, it's uh, it's harder for traditional OTAs to accept it. You know, they, they have a lot of um, uh, regulations and, and uh compliance things internal uh, within their companies that they would need to go through to be able to start taking crypto. Um, and, and so we're, we're able to just make that our bread and butter and be able to tackle that and deal with, um, you know, some of the, the stuff that needs to happen behind the scenes for us to, to be able to take crypto. So, so that's why we build our business. And this audience is growing. You know, we look at the number of people who are investing in crypto every year or holding crypto or it's part of the, the household. It's bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's pretty healthy for a business to, to, to build their audience around and grow from there. Um, the second question was around that I said I was going to answer. It was around, is crypto easier than you think it is? Oh, the people who are explaining it to you, um, is it actually simpler? Um I'm going to have a, a bit of an opinion here. I think that if people are explaining it to you and you're not getting it, they're explaining it based on what probably excites them most um, and, and not necessarily on, on how you understand. So I'm actually going to try and have a take a crack here and try to explain the basics of crypto to you and see if you get it. Can I? May I? Do we have time? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Please, let's go. Okay, cool. So crypto, it's a – we're going to talk about some quality coins here, but generally speaking – a cryptocurrency has a limited supply. You just can't make more. So let's keep this simple. So we've created a cryptocurrency and there will never be more than 100 of this cryptocurrency. Now that, that, that 100 can be broken down into decimal points or whatever, but there'll never be more than 100. Now the value of what that is, is determined by what people are prepared to pay for that token because they put value in it. Um, based on the scarcity so if we start all of our so so what you the three of us we've launched our new cryptocurrency um let, let's let's use our initials so we've got bet that's our that's 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 our that's our ticker right so we've launched the bet token and we've said this is worth a dollar we pump that out into the market uh we put out 10 other tokens and we say they're worth a dollar 
now people start kind of bidding it up and um, you know suddenly it's worth two dollars and then we launch more of the supply which drops it down a little bit then it comes back up to two dollars and it keeps going because it's what people um, are prepared to pay for it effectively is in, in the simplest of terms uh, determines the value of the currencies now because the other thing that crypto has being in, in particular our one it's on an open blockchain what that means is that anyone in the world can actually look and see and confirm that there really are only a hundred of these tokens. It's just public information. They can go to a block explorer and read through lines and lines and lines of data if they want, but it's fully transparent that it's there. So the, the scarcity is confirmed, um, which therefore, if you believe in the scarcity of this, you believe in the project that we have, um, will likely mean that that could be worth something more in future. How did I do? Good, but I'm going to ask a clarifying question. So yeah. if I yeah. unscrewed a bottle cap and I signed my name on it, and I did that 50 times, so I had 50 bottle caps all with my name, unique signature on it, and I assigned a dollar's value to each of those bottle caps, there's a finite number of those bottle caps with my signature on it. Is that a currency? No. Well, sorry, you could be. Like You definitely could have traditionally made that a currency, and that's what... That's what the argument is about new money, right? So let's say, be it a, a coin or not, you know, we had 50 coins, but then the bank goes and makes more of those coins, de deflating the value of them. You know, there's no limit on how many bottle caps you can push out into circulation um, with your, your name on it. But couldn't, couldn't you, couldn't Travala make more tokens though? So the way our smart contract works, so, so cryptocurrencies are, are governed by rules, effectively, which is um, in their, their smart contract. Um, the way our smart contract works when we created the AVA token is it limits the amount of supply that is possible. So we, if we created more, it wouldn't be gotcha. okay. AVA. Like there's, they have unique um, addresses. It, the, if we had to create more, the address wouldn't line up. So it wouldn't be our token anymore and is that the true of all cryptocurrencies do they all have those agreements where there's only a finite number and that's why some are so valuable well the, the value is always put on the what, what, what someone's prepared to pay for it right that that's it what, what someone's prepared to pay for any item is is where right. the value principally is um generally the smart contract will stop you from creating more um, I'm saying generally because I'm sure you could write a smart contract that allows you to add more supply later. Um, this is really where it starts to go over my head, the specifics of it, but it's, it's definitely uh, possible, but rare. Sure. So who decides that one imaginary coin is worth more than another imaginary coin? Well, that's, that's the cool thing here. It's like it's the free market. The free market okay. decides what stuff is worth, what people are prepared to pay um, on an exchange. Or... So if investors decide that Bitcoin is worth $500 a coin and your tokens are worth $10 a coin, there's no intrinsic value to either of those coins, but it's whatever investors are willing to pay, that becomes what it's worth. I feel like I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but it, it just comes to what people are prepared to, to pay for things. Sure, um, sure. You right. know, okay. sometimes there are some tokens like uh, that, that are linked to, you know, some kind of financial benefit, you know, that, that bridge on becoming a security. AVA does not do that. AVA is not a security. I should specify that. Um, we're fully compliant. But there are some tokens that have um, 
kind of some monetary advantages and you could argue that uh you know the monetary advantage like that that gives you has some sort of value in it um beyond what people are you know just saying sorry prepared to pay um but yeah it, effectively it's free market it's a free market will decide what the value of a token is um at any particular period of time and that goes up and down no that that is actually really helpful that i think my if my understanding was at a 10% before it's it's I think at like a 50% now. Oh, so that's that's a good increase. Too kind. I think that's it. you know that was one of the most uh well-spoken descriptions of crypto I've heard, if not the most well-spoken I would say. I I'm curious Ben, as you guys are growing Travala, um are you encountering what what's the feedback you're getting from the from the hotels, from the airlines? What what uh are people excited about this? What do they and what do they want to see? Um, come from you guys? What are they expecting from you guys that they might not be expecting from Booking.com? This is uh, this is interesting. So I, uh, we, we've just announced this. So I can tell you about it. So we are, up till now, um, all of our online travel agency inventory has been coming through like a partnership APIs. So we've had all of every Expedia hotel you can book and pay for with crypto with us, for example. We've got an aggregator for flights and activities. But we are now building out the ability to go direct uh, to suppliers, hotels first, um, and that's going to allow us to bring blockchain to them. So we, we've put it like this. For years, we've been bringing travel to the blockchain community. Now we're bringing blockchain to the, the travel community. And so some of the early things uh, that, that we're talking about with these guys, like with some hotels, is they want to create an NFT, for example, but they, they don't have the experience in-house of how they would do that, what that would look like, or these things. Um, you know, we're able to have these discussions with them and, and stuff here. We're looking at improving out, sorry, no, improving is the wrong word, sorry, expanding on our tokenomics, like the use case of our token for hotels, whereby, you know, they, they, they might be able to pay for better placements um, in our search results by either holding the token or paying with the token um, and stuff as well and get in front of more people. So, so we are starting to, to do some of these things directly with the hotels. You, you asked what's like, what are they expecting from us compared to like, say Expedia or, 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 a, or an, a, a, sorry, some other supplier. I think what they're expecting from us is that it's flawless for them for, to be able to integrate us. You know, they don't want to have to go through a process of retraining staff. They don't want to go through a process of having to integrate another booking system into their flows to be able to be compatible with us. So we're building the tech that just means we slot in with um, what all the, the different hoteliers and airlines do so that it isn't like it's special for them because at the end of the day, they, they're running a business. Uh, they're running a business. So, so we're, we're making it seamless for our customers to be able to use their services um, and, and have a nice win-win for, for both sides of the marketplace. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ben. That was a great closer there. I, I'm going to book my next trip through you guys for sure. I'm sold. I'm curious, uh, where can people go uh, other than Travala.com to learn more? Is there anywhere you'd point them? And I know you are moving to Korea. W where can people go if they want to follow you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, best place to follow me would probably be on LinkedIn. Um, that's that's where I'm probably most active, or Twitter. Um, for Travala, we'd love it if you guys would, would follow us on Twitter, um, at Travala.com. Um, and we have a Telegram community as well, too, that, that's very active and um, very passionate about what we're building and the token as well. So lots of people in there would answer your individual questions um, awesome. that you would have. Ben Rogers, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks so much, guys. Had a lot of fun. 
right, here we are on News of the Day after a great chat with Ben, who uh, significantly enlightened Eben on the, the world of crypto. And me too. I can't act like I'm some kind of a know-it-all. I, I learned quite a bit. But we're going to learn more. We're getting into News of the Day here. And our first story today is called Why You Should Rethink Going on That Yosemite Trip This Summer. And I got to say, Eben, when I first read this headline before I read the story, I assumed falsely that the reason we have this story published at Matador is because Yosemite suffers from over-tourism and it's crowded and there's long lines and all the campsites are full. It turns out that that's incorrect. While some of that may be true during parts of the year, the reason why uh, this may not be the best year to go to Yosemite is because the park is getting an uplift uh, due to the Great American Outdoors Act passed in 2020. It has received millions of dollars in funding to upgrade much-needed infrastructure uh, there's going to be campground upgrades, there's going to be parking upgrades, there's going to be signage upgrades, there's going to be all kinds of new stuff happening at Yosemite that if we visit in 2023, we'll be able to experience. So you just assumed it was because of over-tourism? I assumed, Evan, because I'm so used to the bad news. Uh, do you know anything about national parks? you ever been to a national park? Do you even <laughs> like being outside? you ever been outside? Right, it's a first for me. Yeah, I, uh, I also thought it was about over-tourism, and... I guess I agreed, like, yeah, wait till the construction's over. But at the same time, yeah, if it obscures the beauty that much, then it kind of defeats the point of going. But it also means there might be less crowds. Yeah, I mean, there is that. I, and I'm, I'm guessing, you know, they're, they're saying that the construction should be done, you know, by the end of the season or by the beginning of the next prime season in Yosemite, which is summer. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to be going to a remote part of the park, you know, if you're a climber or a backpacker, this is probably a great time to go. That's me. That's right. That describes me down to a T. Right. I feel like it's probably, I don't know, I read this and I feel like, not that I'm inclined to go to a national park in the first place, but if I was, I, I think I w it wouldn't let it deter me. I think I'd probably go anyway and hope that there's fewer crowds. I mean, the park is massive. It can't be doing construction everywhere. But I feel like enough people here that there is construction, that they might delay their trip. So you're going to be able to enjoy that same aspect of the park that you normally would be, but with fewer crowds. And it's probably not really going to impact the beauty that much. No, definitely not. Definitely not. All right. Well, on my side of things, we have another article. It's called, This Influencer's Advice on What to Avoid in Paris is Spot On, with a few exceptions. So she lists a bunch of tips for how to maximize your visit, basically. One of them is... Don't buy a beret in a tourist souvenir shop. You've been to Paris. Do you buy a beret in a tourist souvenir shop? I did not buy a beret in a tourist souvenir shop. I also didn't go to the Louvre uh, because we were afraid of spending a whole day waiting in line. So I, I think we went to Paris, Alicia and I, assuming that some of these things were going to be terrible and ruin our experience and ended up having a great time probably because we didn't go to a beret shop. or. Well, you hate art? I don't hate art. I hate waiting in line to look at art. Hates the outdoors and hates art. Hates culture. Okay. I can see you being a beret guy. I can see you. What are you wearing right now? What do you think? What do you call that? Uh, a, a, a scally cap. The problem with a beret, Eben, is that I lack the number one requirement to actually use a beret, right? Uh, I don't have enough hair. so. I thought you meant being insufferably pretentious. I'm that too. I lack that. But I you guess. lack that, is what like, I'm saying. I like, to th I like to think that I lack that. Yeah, no, you do. Let's see, some other tips here. We got don't use a taxi everywhere all the time. I agree with that. Actually, we walked 
we took the subway a couple of times, but in general, we walked across Paris. It's a very walkable city, and it's beautiful, so slow down and walk. They also say, don't drink cappuccino in a French cafe, because apparently cappuccinos aren't French. They're Italian. So instead, ask for un café, un café double, un café serre, all of which are espresso, basically. Let's get espresso. All There's a million other suggestions here, all of which are espresso. So right. if you're going to a French cafe, get espresso. Uh, they also say, don't take a picture of the Eiffel Tower at the Rue de l'Université. I'm guessing because it's cliche. Yep. Yep. And there's better views, apparently. So don't take the take, don't, don't take the picture that all the other Instagrammers are taking. Get creative. Get inventive. Find some other stuff to take a picture of. If you're going to take a picture of the Eiffel Tower, find a different vantage point. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Um, I think the Eiffel Tower is better from, from right up on it anyway. Uh, we actually had a cool thing. I mean, it wasn't cool that Nelson Mandela died, but we were in Paris just after he died, and they had lit up the the uh screen on the on the eiffel tower that's just that you know as a tribute to nelson mandela it was really cool oh there you go yeah that's cool final piece of advice here is don't get all dressed up paris tends to be associated with fashion and elegance but don't overdo it she says well you know that's one thing they say about american tourists in europe and and france paris in particular is that they tend to dress up in all black because they think that's how europeans dress all the time and in my experience, it's not. It is how they dress in Scandinavia. Is it? 100%. Okay. I've never been to Scandinavia. But they're also all, like, literal models. So okay. they might that, that, that might actually be, like, the dress code. Yeah, good tips. Makes me want to go to Paris again. Paris, Tim, is always a good idea. Do you know who said that? You. Nelson Mandela. Ah, okay. Fitting. Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us, of course, a five-star review. And if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Flow underscore on Instagram, and he's Winger one Also, a big shout-out and thanks to our producer, Alex Halke, executive producer, Katie Hetrick, our email marketing guru, Kelsey Wilking, the Manador social crew, and everyone else on the team who puts up with us on a daily basis. We'll see you guys next week.